Good morning to you. Let's begin with the word of prayer. Father, I'm thankful for this time in which we can look into your word and be reminded about your truth and and think about how it applies specifically to our church and our individual lives. Thankful for the gospel making it over to our continent and allowing it to spread to our area and uh, some through our parents and grandparents, others through uh, just friends or, or even strangers, but someone shared with us the gospel. We pray that you'd help us to, to be lights uh, like they were in allowing the gospel to spread to more and more people around the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, this morning we want to um, take some time to think about what our vision is as a church as far as engaging in global evangelism and then the place that each of us as individual members have uh, on this uh, on this vision for missions. So we want to start with kind of a review of, of what God's vision is in missions. So turn to Romans chapter 11, God's vision for for missions. We have been talking about what God plans to do in missions. And uh, this is one of several verses that speak to God's purpose in all things. But this is probably the most concise. It's in Romans chapter 11, verse 36. Someone read that for us. All right, so from Him, that is, everything has its existence from God. Nothing uh, receives or gets its existence apart from God. Everything is from Him, and everything is through Him. That is, He keeps everything held together. He sustains all things. In Colossians 1, we read about Jesus being the one who sustains everything. And to Him are all things. So, not only do, does everything come from God and everything is sustained by God, but also everything is designed for God's purposes. It leads, for, it leads toward a final goal, which is to honor Him. So before we say anything about our specific vision for missions at our church, we need to reconsider what we know about God's vision. It's not a vision for our glorification or our success. Rather, as we began this class 10 weeks ago, we began with an initial core vision of missions. The Puritan Tom Watson said it this way, We glorify God when we are God admirers. We glorify God when we are God admirers. And what that means is when we, our job in missions is to see other God admirers. We want to see them glorify God in the same way. Listen to what Tom Wells puts in his book, A Vision for Missions. He writes, Men must know God. That is the one thing they must do. And this can mean nothing less than that God is eminently worthy to be known in all the length and breadth and height and depth of His character. The Christian is a God explorer. The Christian vision is the vision of God. The missionary vision is the vision of God also. It's not something different from the Christian vision. It is the same vision being shared rather than merely enjoyed. It is the same vision being shared with men who have no natural taste for it in the hope that God will create that taste so 
that they too will become God admirers. Sharing the vision of God, that is the work of missions. John Piper says it this way in his book, missions exist, bec- missions exist because worship doesn't. Right? The reason that we go out to more and more people, the reason that we share the gospel with our neighbors is because worship is not happening with those people. God is not being worshipped as He ought to be by all creatures. And so we share the gospel with those who reject God. So before we begin to think, begin to think about our vision, we need to, uh, to center our considerations on the goal that God has authoritatively given to the church. And the vision that God has given is not a small one. God's vision for mission, missions is global in proportion and it's external in its content. So turn to Isaiah chapter 49 because as we saw last week, it's not a vision of regional influence or limited extent but it's a worldwide vision for missions. Isaiah chapter 49. And one of the the questions that can come up in our minds is that um, maybe God doesn't have the power to be able to reach the people that He wants to reach. And here, God is making a promise to Judah and He's telling them that that He will preserve them and that He will make them into a great nation and through them all the nations of the earth will be blessed just as He had promised. And they likely were questioning this in their minds. And so look at verse 6. It reads, He says, Is it too small a thing that you should be My servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And so from this passage, we see that God was using Israel to spread His light, spread His fame to the ends of the earth. Now, we know how that happens. It happened through one of Judah's descendants, Jesus, that that through Him really is the one that all nations will be blessed. Not necessarily them as a nation, but, but through their descendant, Jesus. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And here we are reminded about why the church exists. So why our church exists. Why why we're seeking to see other churches exist. That God intends this global vision to, to spread all over the world. Ephesians 3 and uh, verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This verse here, verse 10, is one of the most powerful verses to speak about the church and what God is doing through it. Notice again, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities. The rulers and the authorities are not just speaking about angels. It is speaking about, at the very least, angels. But in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, you remember that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, powers, the, the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And that's the same idea here that that we are on display, that is, our church is on display 
before the angels and the demons and we show whether or not God is is manifold in His wisdom. God is displaying His mercy, His grace through the church. And that's why angels in 1 Peter talks about uh, angels long to look into these things. If you think about it, the angels, uh, the angels were corrupted. Several of them defected and and were thrown out of heaven, right? And yet, God didn't didn't come. He didn't incarnate into angelic form to save the angelic race who defected from Him, right? Instead, He came into the form of human, and He died for for us as humans. And that's why the angels are amazed at this. And the fact that God could, without coercion, cause us to come to a place where we love to serve Him, that we who were far from Him and were His enemies, through the process of, or after the, the, as a result of the process of regeneration, God is able to change us and to cause us to follow us and follow Him and to come together in unity, in a church where we would otherwise uh, not know one another, not love one another, and yet we do that because of the manifold wisdom of God. And so I, I kind of picture it like an arena that, that we are on display in the center of the arena and the angels and demons are all out in the crowd and they're watching every single move that we make. As we are faithful to God and we are showing love for one another, the, the angels cheer and the demons groan. But as we are backbiting and, and, uh, and full of strife, the demons are cheering and the angels are moaning. But overall, in, in all of it, obviously, no one's going to be able to come up against the power of the church. No one's going to be able to, to, um, to, uh, to, to remove Christ's church from this earth, right? Even the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And so ultimately, God's wisdom is displayed in the church. And, uh, and that's why there is no more valuable institution in the entire world than the institution of the, the church. This is how God is working in this age. This is the primary way in which God displays His glory. You, you see God's glory in all sorts of ways in this world, right? We see God's glory in the sun and in the stars and in, in the snow and things but and you see God's glory in people and uh, but the primary way in which God displays his glory his manifold wisdom his love is for his church this is how he displays look again verse 10 just so that I can kind of drive this home so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places so God has this worldwide vision to reach people and establish churches so that He can make His glory known, so that people can see God for who He is and recognize that, that these people who are coming together who were enemies of His and now are His children, and He's treating them as His own, and that they're coming in unity to one another and, and have really very few things in common other than their love for Christ, that they love one another more than they love their own family in many cases. Uh, right? This is what Jesus said. If you, if you do not hate brother and sister and mother and father, you cannot be my disciple. And we know of lots of examples of people who had to effectively do that. Right? 
not that we shouldn't show love to our family. The point is, is that in comparison to our love for one another in the church, it should our love for our family should pale in comparison to that love that we have for our church. And and that means that we might have to separate from our own family, right? Do, do you know of people who've had to do that? That that their family has basically abandoned them because they have adopted the Christian faith. And uh, certainly that happens in lots of places around the world. We don't see it as much because we live really in a in a in a uh, country that's full of tolerance, and uh, so we probably see it in different ways, but not as clear as those where where you know people are just a, just uh, disowned really by their own families, and, uh, and and that's how God displays His wisdom through the church. Turn to Revelation seven. Look at one more passage as we're trying to just uh, be reminded about the foundation for for a global vision of missions, what God is doing. Okay, this is this is the goal. This is what God is is um, is moving toward. This is what He is is bringing about. Can someone read Revelation seven verses nine and ten? Alright, so we have this picture. Open up the window of heaven. We get to look in for a little bit and see that there are people from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation who are worshiping God and worshiping the Lamb, that is Jesus, as He sits on the throne. And so from these passages that we just looked at, there are several principles. I listed them for you on your handout. That God is committed to His own glory. God is... God's primary desire is not our exaltation. That, that, that would be a lesser desire. His primary desire is His, his own exaltation, His own glory, uh, the display of His own worth. Secondly, God desires that His church would be central in the work of the gospel everywhere. So this is one of the things that we've been talking about, that not only is the church the means to the end, but it's also the goal. It's also the, the, the end itself, the thing that God is... Is, is seeking to establish is churches. And then thirdly, God intends that the message of salvation should be preached to all people groups across all cultural and linguistic divides. And then fourthly, we didn't look at Romans 10, but, but that's where this comes from. No one comes to Christ unless someone tells them. Okay, If Christ is the only way, which the Bible is clear that, that He is, if He is, then no one can come to Him apart from the Scriptures. How can they call on Him in whom they have not heard, and how can they hear unless someone is sent? So these are the kinds of principles that that have shaped our church's vision over the years, uh, even from its establishment for our engagement in cross-cultural missions. As I mentioned before, our church started out as a missionary Baptist church, which just means that that it had a desire not only to see the the, the gospel spread to places around the world, but also uh, to to be spread. To our own neighbors in, in our area. And so our church has had a vision for engaging in evangelism, but also we're 
focusing specifically on cross-cultural evangelism, right? Missionary work. And we said that a missionary is someone who crosses a culture to share the gospel and usually to a, to a people that haven't heard. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about uh, several of these things that we've kind of just touched on now, but, but what I'm going to focus on this morning is more practical or pragmatic. It's, it's seeking to get down to the, the nuts and bolts of what our vision is. And I hope that in, in our vision for missions as a church, you will see that it's derived from uh, God's vision for missions, which is to establish churches and to make his name known. So what is our church's vision for missions? I would hope that, that you would say that our vision is found in God's word, but I also realize that that's not a particularly helpful way to frame our understanding. That is, if you just say, well, our vision is derived from God's Word, well, what exactly is our, our vision? So let's just think about some priorities that, that I think our church has had in many cases and in other cases the ones that I think that we ought to, that we ought to uh, promote. All right, first, a vision to encourage... A vision to encourage and partner with workers on the field. So a vision to encourage workers on the field and to partner with them in a manner worthy of God. And, and so there are several things that, that uh, we could say about this specific point, and we've touched on several of these before, so I won't spend a lot of time on them. But one is support fewer missionaries to the glory of God. Does that mean that we want to reduce our missions budget and we, we just want to, uh, to pick a few of our favorites? That's not the point. The point is that we don't want to get to a place where we're supporting uh, 50 or 100 missionaries at a very small amount. The goal would be to support a fewer number of missionaries like we have right now, nine, and try to support them for more money per month so that they have uh, an easier time on deputation, those new ones who are coming in, and an easier time on furlough once they've already been to the field. And so what that means is that, does that mean that we'll never take on a new missionary? No, that doesn't, doesn't mean that at all. But, but what I've said before, and I think I, our church ought to make it a goal of ours, is to increase the support of those particularly who are involved in the center of what missions is. Okay? When I say the center, I mean that those church planting missionaries. There are lots of missionaries who do things and, and do supporting type roles, and that's helpful. But the ones who are like the Archie Perez's or the Dan Cuthbertsons, the ones who are, are actually planting churches and seeing them established, Santos George is another good example. Uh, we want to see them supported at you know, somewhere between 5 and 10% of their, of their necessary support so that uh, they would have fewer churches. Okay? And, I, and I've mentioned this several times before, but, but uh, it's much easier for them uh, when they have fewer churches to report to. Um, and, and you might think, well, just in terms of how many people pray for them, it doesn't seem like it would be easier. It seems like they would have less prayer support. But if you think about it, uh, if you get to know excuse me, know a missionary very closely, you pray for them more specifically. It's, it's like with your family. You have your immediate family and you have your extended family. The people that you tend to pray for are the ones that you know more, the people that you live with. And I think the same thing is true with regard to the ones that we develop close relationships with. And I'm suggesting that, that uh, we ought to do that with regard to uh, particularly the ones who are at the center of, of um, God's vision for missions, which is planting churches. All right, secondly, 
support our workers spiritually, not just financially. So the goal is not to just uh, send them a check. Uh, we could we could do that, and there there I'm sure there are churches who kind of just do that. And in fact, if you think about a lot of the Southern Baptist churches, they really just give to a fund, uh, a Lottie Moon fund, and and that fund is just dispersed among thousands and thousands of churches. And what they've done is actually become very efficient in sending out missionaries. The missionary all he has to do is is get approved by the board, Southern Baptist missionary board and then they're sent out they don't have to go to any churches they don't have to receive you know try to try to seek support in that way and uh, obviously there are a lot of problems with that I think one is they're they're not going to be well known among churches and so they're not going to be prayed for as much and uh, so sometimes though we sacrifice I think a spiritual connection at the altar of efficiency so we're trying to become more and more efficient and we send them out more quickly, and and it's much much easier on them. But it, but in the process, we've actually uh, taken away from a, a spiritual connection that I think we need to have. And so I'm suggesting that that our church ought to support our missionary workers uh, spiritually, not just financially. A negative example of this is um, is a missionary that that actually just recently defected from the faith. Um, he was a missionary in China, and uh, he was supported by a number of churches in our area, Baptist churches, and uh, and not ours, but but uh, but uh, over time, you know, he kind of got holed in a little bit, kind of got isolated out there, and uh, even with other Baptist missionaries who were out there, he started to pull himself away a little bit more over time, and eventually he decided that he would turn away from the faith and join a Catholic church. And this is a guy who's receiving support from from Baptist churches. And this actually was not something that just came up like all of a sudden, you know what? I never even realized this. I'm going to start studying. No, it was something that he had been thinking about over a long period of time. Obviously, we can't uncover those kinds of things uh, very easily just by interacting with people. Um, but I think it's it's definitely a lot easier to catch or to be able to to keep them where they ought to be if we're ha- if we have a close relationships uh, a close relationship with them. In other words, it's difficult to keep somebody from defecting when we don't have a relationship with them, right? If we're just sending the check, and uh, and so I think I think we do well to establish close relationships with our missionaries. And there are lots of ways that we can do that. And, and I know you, you, um, you know of many of those ways. Specifically, as a church, I'm trying to, to tell them about what's going on with our church. I, I started a newsletter this last quarter and intend to do one every quarter. Let the missionaries know what we're doing and so that they can be praying for us. I, I try to, to contact each of our missionaries at least once a year, but I'm trying uh, actually trying to be more regular on that. Um, and that is a, a phone conversation. But in addition to that, I, I just try to keep up with them via email and uh, so that they can know that we are praying for them and, uh, and that we're concerned about them. And, and the great thing is for you individually is that you can do that just as easily as I can. Okay? The, there's no cost in, be, in, in, in communicating with these missionaries. Uh, if you have Skype, you can talk to them 
uh, directly. If you if you have email, you can email them. If you have, you know, snail mail, then that would cost you a little bit, but it's like a dollar. Okay, so you you could do that. All right, and then uh, take meaningful short-term trips. Meaningful short-term trips to help people on the field. Okay, and the goal, when I say meaningful, not as a means just to, you know, see more parts of the world, but to actually look for, look for specific needs on the field. What can we do as a church while we're there, certainly, in the short-term trip? While we're there, what can we do to help you? But also, when we get back home, how can our church as a whole help you? What can we pass on to our church so that you would be more equipped and better able to do your job here on the field? Um, and so that's why we want to encourage them. We want to encourage them while they're while we're there, and we also want to encourage them once we get back home. And maybe it is something as simple as as just performing some menial tasks for them. Um, you know, sometimes when we think of missions trips, we think of big projects, big buildings, and something that we can have a picture and bring it back. Of. But but actually. Sometimes the most helpful mission trips are those that, that we just seek to do some normal, everyday things that maybe have just been piling up for them and have it has just become overwhelming because they don't have the kinds of support networks that we have here in the States, maybe because of our family or because of our church. They're, they're often in, their churches are often in the infancy stage, and so they're far from family, and they're, they don't have a lot of of people who can help them. So maybe it's something as simple as, you know, if they have younger kids just babysitting for a night so that the the, um, the parents can go out on a date. You know, something something very simple. Maybe it's mechanical. Maybe it's just uh, spending time talking to them because they just feel alone. And, uh, and I, I think that would be a helpful way to encourage them and to partner with them in a manner worthy of God. Next, keep the local church central. We want to do that for ourselves and we also want to encourage our missionaries to do this. And I'm thankful that uh, of the missionaries that we have visited over the last three years, that all of them have have this goal in mind. That they're seeking to establish a church. And uh, I hope to see that as we continue to, to visit these missionaries. Um, but we want to encourage them along those lines. All right. Uh, let me see if I need to say anything else about that. All right, next, an increasing awareness. This is regard to our vision as a church. In addition to encouraging and partnering with workers on the field and keeping the local church central, we want to increase the awareness of unreached people groups. Right? Is it Jesus and Matthew that says, you know, all these people, once they're, they all are saved, then the end will come. Okay, so we recognize that there are people groups that haven't, heard the gospel. Not not that they haven't received the gospel. We have lots of people groups like that even in, in our own continent, but but there are lots of people groups who haven't even heard the gospel. That's what unreached means. It means they don't have a, a church. They may have some isolated Christians in part of their in parts of their country or parts of their people group, but they don't have a church where they could actually go and and be fed and where they could grow. And so I think we need to have this in mind when we uh, think of our own missionaries and when we eventually get to a place where we can take on new missionaries for for um, for supporting them. 
All right. And again, that helpful resource with regard to this, finding some of these un, un, uh, unreached people group is the Joshua Project, which you can find online. And then also um, the Operation World book. It's been recently updated a couple years ago with the recent census information, and it's very helpful to explain all the different cultural things that you can expect and things that you can be specifically praying for. All right, any questions so far? been doing a lot of talking. And you've been doing a lot of listening, so do you want to talk? Okay. Next. Okay, this kind of goes along with what we just said uh, with regard to keeping the, the church central, but we want to see our missionaries planting churches. Obviously, this is going to be something that, uh, you know, if, if we, like a Joyce Oshiro, can't do on her own, she can do this in a supporting roles. She can't actually plant a church uh, because you, you need to be a, a pastor in order to be, be able to do that. So, so see our missionaries planting churches. Um, uh, a vision that understands missions according to a broad biblical worldview. Okay, so let me just go back one step here. See our missionaries planting churches. The goal is not to see converts. That's not the final goal. The final goal is actually to make disciples. And the way that disciples are made is through a church. So it would be one thing if we went out to a place or we sent somebody out to a place, uh, crossed a culture, and they were able to see hundreds of people come to Christ. So if they turned around and came home and didn't give them any basis or any anything that they needed to turn to, then, then we would have failed in our job as missionaries. Okay, so the goal is not to make converts. In fact, Jesus tells us our goal in Matthew chapter 28. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. So actually, the making converts part is, is assumed. It's assumed that you're going to do that. But when you do that, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to baptize them and teach them everything that he's commanded. And that doesn't happen apart from a local church. Okay, Baptism doesn't happen apart from a local church. And teaching them everything that, that Christ has commanded doesn't happen apart from a local church because it needs to have this element of loving one another and and um, and uh, and having this this bigger view of God than just making converts it is to 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 spread his passion to to get them to a place where where they also can can see churches planted where they can re- be in a a place where they can reproduce churches all right so now the next point understand missions according to a broad biblical worldview that is uh, focus on preaching the word. Um, a, a big view of God will eventually result in a passion to make Him known. So, so seeking to to um, to teach people, and help them to understand the the gospel as a whole. Not that just that. You know, a lot of times when we come to Christ, I think in general when we come to Christ, we think that Christianity is all about us, and it seems like it seems like that that God takes us at some point and and helps us to see that Christianity is not about us. It's kind of like when you're born, you think you see the sunrise and you think that that the the sun revolves around the earth, right? And then you you recognize once you start to study history and science and things, you recognize that the earth revolves around the sun. I think that's what happens when we come to Christ. That that we think that everything revolves around us even as Christians. And so there, there comes a point 
that, that we start to see that, that everything doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around God. We actually revolve around, around God. And uh, maybe, maybe the example uh, a couple of us guys have been studying here for this um, Christianity Explored, and, and one of the illustrations that Jesus uses is, is a man who comes to him to be healed of his blindness. And remember, Jesus healed him in stages. Right, the first, he sees, and it's kind of blurry. He says, I see, looks like trees walking around. And then Jesus uh, heals him fully, effectively, and, and start, he starts to see everything clearly. And I think the reason for that specific event is that, if you look right before that, it's the disciples not being able to understand. The disciples, 11 of them, have been saved at this point. They, they were converted. But I think they were like this guy in that they saw things all blurry. And it wasn't until God started to show them, listen, it's not about you. And I, I think that's what happens. That, yes, we want people from the very beginning to recognize that all of creation revolves around God, that everything is about God. But but it often isn't seen until much later. It's it's as if God has to turn a light on for them. And so we want to we want to explain to them the whole counsel of God. Right? We want to we want them to be able to see all the scriptures and and to uh, to grow in that. It's certainly a lifelong task that we have to continue to to pursue. And so uh and so we need to uh to focus on on Christian growth, not just on not just on uh, individual converts, and the best training for that sort of thing, Christian growth happens within the local church. All right, and so for our church, that means that that we need to be we need to be encouraging fruitfulness within uh, our own people or among our own people, that we're building evangelistic skills um, among our own people and the ability to disciple and learning to reach out across the culture and encouraging our missionaries to do the same. All right, any questions? Ken? 49.6. Isaiah 49.6. All right, for the rest of the time, I'd like us to take some time and just think about this Christianity Explored that we're, we have coming up. Okay, so I've been encouraging you to start praying for specific individuals. A couple of weeks ago, I had you write down names of people who, uh, of whom you had been thinking. And so what I'd like you to do is for the next five minutes, seven minutes, time we have left, is to pray with the people at your table. Okay, make sure um, that you know everybody there and, and pray with the people at your table for specific names. Okay, so if you have been thinking about specific names, and you can quickly give them, then great. If not, then then pray for the other persons. Uh, I would I would strongly encourage you to be thinking of someone that you can invite. Again, the goal of this whole Bible study that we're going to do is is designed so that that we can share the gospel with unbelievers in a in an interactive way where they can they can hear the gospel, they can walk through the gospel with us and ask questions. They can ask any question they want. And we're going to seek to, to try to answer them. And I think there's probably going to be a lot of I don't knows. But, but we're trying to prepare ourselves as best as we can um, for any questions they might have. And I think it's a great resource for them. I have some specific people that I've been praying for. 
and I've been praying for, for you, and I hope that you have specific people within your circles of influence that you could see helped by getting a clear understanding of who Christ is. Because everybody has an idea of who Christ is and what Christianity is all about. But why not introduce them to Christ directly by taking them to the pages of Scripture? That's what this seven-week study is for. And uh, and we want, we're very um, excited about being able to share that with these people. And um, but, but ultimately, we can't see any change apart from Christ, right? Without Christ, we can do nothing. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain when we build it. We could do all this work preparing for this Bible study. And if God doesn't work in specific people's hearts to actually come and to actually... Um, to actually respond, then, then we've not that we've failed or anything, but but ultimately we we haven't accomplished anything really. Uh, we want to see God do a work, so let's pray that He will do that. And I think God loves to answer His people's prayers, so let's pray specifically. All right, so take the rest of this time to pray for for people that you've been thinking about. Share those with the people at your table, and then we'll be dismissed.